October 21 to 27 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, October 21. The love of Christ constraineth us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. How much owest thou unto my Lord? Has he ever done anything for thee? Has he forgiven thy sins? Has he covered thee with a robe of righteousness? Has he set thy feet upon a rock? Has he established thy goings? Has he prepared heaven for thee? Has he prepared thee for heaven? Has he written thy name in his book of life? Has he given thee countless blessings? Has he laid up for thee a store of mercies which I hath not seen nor ear heard? Then do something for Jesus worthy of his love. Give not a mere wordy offering to a dying Redeemer. How will you feel when your master comes if you have to confess that you did nothing for him, but kept your love shut up like a stagnant pool, neither flowing forth to his poor nor to his work? Out on such love as that! What do men think of a love which never shows itself in action? Why, they say, open rebuke is better than secret love. Who will accept a love so weak that it does not actuate you to a single deed of self-denial, of generosity, of heroism, or zeal? Think how he has loved you and given himself for you. Do you know the power of that love? then let it be like a rushing mighty wind to your soul to sweep out the clouds of your worldliness and clear away the mists of sin. For Christ's sake, be this the tongue of fire that shall sit upon you. For Christ's sake, be this the divine rapture, the heavenly afflatus to bear you aloft from earth, the divine spirit that shall make you bold as lions and swift as eagles in your Lord's service. Love should give wings to the feet of service, and strength to the arms of labor. Fixed on God with a constancy that is not to be shaken, resolute to honor Him with a determination that is not to be turned aside, and pressing on with an ardor never to be wearied, let us manifest the constraints of love to Jesus. May the divine lodestone draw us heavenward towards itself. Evening, October 21 why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Luke 24.38 Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? The Lord cares for all things, and the meanest creatures share in his universal providence, but his particular providence is over his saints. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, precious shall their blood be in his sight. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Let the fact that, while he is the Saviour of all men, he is specially the Saviour of them that believe, cheer and comfort you. You are his peculiar care, his regal treasure which he guards as the apple of his eye, his vineyard over which he watches day and night. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Let the thought of his special love to you be a spiritual painkiller, a dear quietus to your woe, 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God says that as much to you as to any saint of old. Fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. We lose much consolation by the habit of reading his promises for the whole church instead of taking them directly home to ourselves. Believer, grasp the divine word with a personal, appropriating faith. Think that you hear Jesus say, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Think you see him walking on the waters of thy trouble, for he is there, and he is saying, Fear not, it is I, be not afraid. Oh, those sweet words of Christ! May the Holy Ghost make you feel them as spoken to you. Forget others for a while. Accept the voice of Jesus as addressed to you, and say, Jesus whispers consolation. I cannot refuse it. I will sit under his shadow with great delight. Morning, October 22. I will love them freely. Hosea 14.4 this sentence is a body of divinity in miniature. He who understands its meaning is a theologian, and he who can dive into its fullness is a true master in Israel. It is a condensation of the glorious message of salvation which was delivered to us in Christ Jesus our Redeemer. The sense hinges upon the word freely. This is the glorious, the suitable, the divine way by which love streams from heaven to earth, a spontaneous love flowing forth to those who neither deserved it, purchased it, nor sought after it. It is, indeed, the only way in which God can love such as we are. The text is a death-blow to all sorts of fitness. I will love them freely. Now, if there were any fitness necessary in us, then he would not love us freely. At least this would be a mitigation and a drawback to the freeness of it but it stands, I will love you freely. We complain, Lord, my heart is so hard. I will love you freely. But I do not feel my need of Christ as I could wish. I will not love you because you feel your need, I will love you freely. But I do not feel that softening of spirit which I could desire. Remember, the softening of spirit is not a condition, for there are no conditions, the covenant of grace has no conditionality whatever, so that we without any fitness may venture upon the promise of God which was made to us in Christ Jesus, when he said, He that believeth on him is not condemned. It is blessed to know that the grace of God is free to us at all times, without preparation, without fitness, without money, and without price. I will love them freely." These words invite backsliders to return. Indeed, the text was specially written for such. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Backslider, surely the generosity of the promise will at once break your heart, and you will return and seek your injured father's face. Evening, October 22. He shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. John 16.15. There are times when all the promises and doctrines of the Bible are of no avail unless a gracious hand shall supply them to us. We are thirsty, but too faint to crawl to the water brook. When a soldier is wounded in battle, it is of little use for him to know that there are those at the hospital who can bind up his wounds, 
and medicine there to ease all the pains which he now suffers. What he needs is to be carried thither, and to have the remedies applied. It is thus with our souls, and to meet this need there is one, even the Spirit of Truth, who takes of the things of Jesus, and applies them to us. Think not that Christ hath placed his joys on heavenly shelves, that we may climb up to them for ourselves, but he draws near, and sheds his peace abroad in our hearts. O Christian, if thou art to-night laboring under deep distresses, thy father does not give thee promises, and then leave thee to draw them up from the word like buckets from a well, but the promises he has written in the word he will write anew on your heart. He will manifest his love to you, and by his blessed spirit dispel your cares and troubles. Be it known unto thee, O mourner, that it is God's prerogative to wipe every tear from the eye of his people. The good Samaritan did not say, Here is the wine, and here is the oil for you. He actually poured in the oil and the wine. So Jesus not only gives you the sweet wine of his promise, but holds the golden chalice to your lips, and pours the life-blood into your mouth. The poor, sick, wayworn pilgrim is not merely strengthened to walk, but he is born on eagle's wings. Glorious gospel, which provides everything for the helpless, which draws nigh to us when we cannot reach after it, brings us grace before we seek for grace. Here is as much glory in the giving as in the gift. Happy people who have the Holy Ghost to bring Jesus to them. Morning, October 23. Will ye also go away? John 6, 67. Many have forsaken Christ and have walked no more with him. But what reason have you to make a change? Has there been any reason for it in the past? Has not Jesus proved himself all-sufficient? He appeals to you this morning. Have I been a wilderness unto you? When your soul has simply trusted Jesus, have you ever been confounded? Have you not up till now found your Lord to be a compassionate and generous friend to you, and has not simple faith in Him given you all the peace your spirit could desire? Can you so much as dream of a better friend than He has been to you? Then change not the old and tried for the new and false. As for the present, can that compel you to leave Christ? When we are hard beset with this world, or with the severer trials within the church, we find it a most blessed thing to pillow our head upon the bosom of our Saviour. This is the joy we have to-day that we are saved in Him, and if this joy be satisfying, wherefore should we think of changing? Who barters gold for dross? We will not forswear the sun till we find a better light, nor leave our Lord until a brighter lover shall appear." and since this can never be, we will hold him with a grasp immortal, and bind his name as a seal upon our arm. As for the future, can you suggest anything which can arise that shall render it necessary for you to mutiny, or desert the old flag to serve under another captain? We think not. If life be long, he changes not. If we are poor, what better than to have Christ who can make us rich? When we are sick, what more do we want than Jesus to make our bed in our sickness? When we die, is it not written that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? We say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Evening, October 23. Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Luke 22.46. When is the Christian most liable to sleep? Is it not when his temporal circumstances are prosperous? Have you not found it so? When you had daily troubles to take to the throne of grace, were you not more wakeful than you are now? Easy roads make sleepy travelers. Another dangerous time is when all goes pleasantly in spiritual matters. Christian went not to sleep when lions were in the way, or when he was wading through the river, or when fighting with Apollyon, but when he had climbed halfway up the hill difficulty, and came to a delightful arbor, he sat down and forthwith fell asleep, to his great sorrow and loss. The enchanted ground is a place of balmy breezes, laden with fragrant odors and soft influences, all tending to lull pilgrims to sleep. Remember Bunyan's description. Then they came to an arbor, warm and promising much refreshing to the weary pilgrims, for it was finely wrought above head, beautified with greens, and furnished with benches and settles. It had also in it a soft couch, where the weary might lean. The arbor was called the Slothful's Friend, and was made on purpose to allure, if it might be, some of the pilgrims to take up their rest there when weary. Depend upon it, it is in easy places that men shut their eyes and wander into the dreamy land of forgetfulness. Old Erskine wisely remarked, I like a roaring devil better than a sleeping devil. There is no temptation half so dangerous as not being tempted. The distressed soul does not sleep. It is after we enter into peaceful confidence and full assurance that we are in danger of slumbering. The disciples fell asleep after they had seen Jesus transfigured on the mountain top. Take heed, joyous Christian, Good frames are near neighbors to temptations. Be as happy as you will, only be watchful. Morning, October 24. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. Psalm 104, 16. Without sap, the tree cannot flourish or even exist. Vitality is essential to a Christian. There must be life, a vital principle infused into us by God the Holy Ghost, or we cannot be trees of the Lord. The mere name of being a Christian is but a dead thing. We must be filled with the spirit of divine life. This life is mysterious. We do not understand the circulation of the sap, by what force it rises, and by what power it descends again. So the life within us is a sacred mystery. Regeneration is wrought by the Holy Ghost entering into man and becoming man's life and this divine life in a believer afterwards feeds upon the flesh and blood of Christ, and is thus sustained by divine food. But whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, who shall explain to us? What a secret thing the sap is! The roots go searching through the soil with their little spongioles, but we cannot see them suck out the various gases, or transmute the mineral into the vegetable. This work is done down in the dark." Our root is Christ Jesus, and our life is hid in Him. This is the secret of the Lord. The radix of the Christian life is as secret as the life itself. 
how permanently active is the sap in the cedar. In the Christian, the divine life is always full of energy, not always in fruit-bearing, but in inward operations. The believer's graces are not every one of them in constant motion, but his life never ceases to palpitate within. He is not always working for God, but his heart is always living upon him. As the sap manifests itself in producing the foliage and fruit of the tree, so with a truly healthy Christian, his grace is externally manifested in his walk and conversation. If you talk with him, he cannot help speaking about Jesus. If you notice his actions, you will see that he has been with Jesus. He has so much sap within, that it must fill his conduct and conversation with life. Evening, October 24. He began to wash the disciples' feet. John 13.5. The Lord Jesus loves his people so much that every day he is still doing for them much that is analogous to washing their soiled feet. Their poorest actions he accepts, their deepest sorrow he feels, their slenderest wish he hears, and their every transgression he forgives. He is still their servant as well as their friend and master. He not only performs majestic deeds for them, as wearing the mitre on his brow, and the precious jewels glittering on his breastplate, and standing up to plead for them, but humbly, patiently, he yet goes about among his people with the basin and the towel. He does this when he puts away from us, day by day, our constant infirmities and sins. Last night, when you bowed the knee, you mournfully confessed that much of your conduct was not worthy of your profession, and even to-night you must mourn afresh that you have fallen again into the self-same folly and sin from which special grace delivered you long ago. And yet Jesus will have great patience with you. He will hear your confession of sin. He will say, I will, be thou clean. He will again apply the blood of sprinkling, and speak peace to your conscience, and remove every spot. It is a great act of eternal love when Christ once for all absolves the sinner and puts him into the family of God. But what condescending patience there is when the Saviour with much long-suffering bears the oft-recurring follies of his wayward disciple, day by day and hour by hour, washing away the multiplied transgressions of his erring but yet beloved child. To dry up a flood of rebellion is something marvellous, but to endure the constant dropping of repeated offences, to bear with a perpetual trying of patience, this is divine indeed. When we find comfort and peace in our Lord's daily cleansing, its legitimate influence upon us will be to increase our watchfulness, and quicken our desire for holiness. Is it so? Morning, October 25. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us for ever. 2 John 2. Once let the truth of God obtain an entrance into the human heart, and subdue the whole man unto himself, no power, human or infernal, can dislodge it. We entertain it not as a guest, but as the master of the house. This is a Christian necessity. He is no Christian who doth not thus believe. We who feel the vital power of the gospel, and know the might of the Holy Ghost as he opens, applies, and seals the Lord's word, would sooner be torn to pieces 
than be rent away from the gospel of their salvation. What a thousand mercies are wrapped up in the assurance that the truth will be with us for ever, will be our living support, our dying comfort, our rising song, our eternal glory. This is Christian privilege, without it our faith were little worth. Some truths we outgrow and leave behind, for they are but rudiments and lessons for beginners, but we cannot thus deal with divine truth, for though it is sweet food for babes, it is in the highest sense strong meat for men. The truth that we are sinners is painfully with us to humble and make us watchful. The more blessed truth that whosoever believeth on the Lord Jesus shall be saved abides with us as our hope and joy. Experience, so far from loosening our hold on the doctrines of grace, has knit us to them more and more firmly. Our grounds and motives for believing are now more strong, more numerous than ever, and we have reason to expect that it will be so till in death we clasp the Saviour in our arms. Wherever this abiding love of truth can be discovered, we are bound to exercise our love. No narrow circle can contain our gracious sympathies, wide as the election of grace must be, our communion of heart. Much of error may be mingled with truth received, let us war with the error, but still love the brother for the measure of truth which we see in him. Above all, let us love and spread the truth ourselves. Evening, October 25. She gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Ruth 2.3. Her hap was... Yes, it seemed nothing but an accident, but how divinely was it overruled! Ruth had gone forth with her mother's blessing, under the care of her mother's God, to humble yet honourable toil, and the providence of God was guiding her every step. Little did she know that amid the sheaves she would find a husband, that he should make her the joint owner of all those broad acres, and that she, a poor foreigner, should become one of the progenitors of the great Messiah. God is very good to those who trust in Him, and often surprises them with unlooked-for blessings. Little do we know what may happen to us to-morrow, but this sweet fact may cheer us, that no good thing shall be withheld. Chance is banished from the faith of Christians, for they see the hand of God in everything. The trivial events of to-day or to-morrow may involve consequences of the highest importance. O Lord, deal as graciously with thy servants as thou didst with Ruth. How blessed would it be, if, in wandering in the field of meditation to-night, our hap should be to light upon the place where our next kinsman will reveal himself to us. O Spirit of God, guide us to him. We would sooner glean in his field than bear away the whole harvest from any other. O for the footsteps of his flock, which may conduct us to the green pastures where he dwells. This is a weary world when Jesus is away. We would better do without sun and moon than without him. But how divinely fair all things become in the glory of his presence. Our souls know the virtue which dwells in Jesus, and can never be content without him. We will wait in prayer this night until our hap shall be to light upon a part of the field belonging to Jesus, wherein he will manifest himself to us. Morning, October 26. 
ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Haggai 1.9. Churlish souls stint their contributions to the ministry and missionary operations, and call such saving good economy. Little do they dream that they are thus impoverishing themselves. Their excuse is that they must care for their own families, and they forget that to neglect the house of God is the sure way to bring ruin upon their own houses. Our God has a method in providence by which he can succeed our endeavors beyond our expectation, or can defeat our plans to our confusion and dismay. By a turn of his hand he can steer our vessel in a profitable channel, or run it aground in poverty and bankruptcy. It is the teaching of Scripture that the Lord enriches the liberal and leaves the miserly to find out that withholding tendeth to poverty. In a very wide sphere of observation, I have noticed that the most generous Christians of my acquaintance have been always the most happy, and almost invariably the most prosperous. I have seen the liberal giver rise to wealth of which he never dreamed and I have as often seen the mean, ungenerous churl descend to poverty by the very parsimony by which he thought to rise. Men trust good stewards with larger and larger sums, and so it frequently is with the Lord. He gives by cartloads to those who give by bushels. Where wealth is not bestowed, the Lord makes the little much by the contentment which the sanctified heart feels in a portion of which the tithe has been dedicated to the Lord. Selfishness looks first at home, but godliness seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, yet in the long run selfishness is loss, and godliness is great gain. It needs faith to act towards our God with an open hand, but surely he deserves it of us, and all that we can do is a very poor acknowledgment of our amazing indebtedness to his goodness. Evening, October 26 all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Ecclesiastes 1.7 Everything sublunary is on the move, time knows nothing of rest. The solid earth is a rolling ball, and the great sun himself a star obediently fulfilling its course around some greater luminary. Tides move the sea, winds stir the airy ocean, Friction wears the rock. Change and death rule everywhere. The sea is not a miser's storehouse for a wealth of waters, for as by one force the waters flow into it, by another they are lifted from it. Men are born but to die. Everything is hurry, worry, and vexation of spirit. Friend of the unchanging Jesus, what a joy it is to reflect upon thy changeless heritage. Thy sea of bliss, which will be forever full, since God himself shall pour eternal rivers of pleasure into it. We seek an abiding city beyond the skies, and we shall not be disappointed. The passage before us may well teach us gratitude. Father Ocean is a great receiver, but he is a generous distributor. What the rivers bring him, he returns to the earth in the form of clouds and rain. That man is out of joint with the universe, who takes all but makes no return. 
to give to others is but sowing seed for ourselves. He who is so good a steward as to be willing to use his substance for his Lord shall be entrusted with more. Friend of Jesus, art thou rendering to him according to the benefit received? Much has been given thee, what is thy fruit? Hast thou done all? Canst thou not do more? To be selfish is to be wicked. Suppose the ocean gave up none of its watery treasure, it would bring ruin upon our race. God forbid that any of us should follow the ungenerous and destructive policy of living unto ourselves. Jesus pleased not himself. All fullness dwells in him, but of his fullness have all we received. O oh, for Jesus' spirit, that henceforth we may live not unto ourselves. Morning, October 27. It is a faithful saying. 2 Timothy 2.11. Paul has four of these faithful sayings. The first occurs in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The next is in 1 Timothy 4.6. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. The third is in Second Timothy 2.12. It is a faithful saying, If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And the fourth is in Titus 3.3. This is a faithful saying, That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. We may trace a connection between these faithful sayings. The first one lays the foundation of our eternal salvation in the free grace of God as shown to us in the mission of the great Redeemer. The next affirms the double blessedness which we obtain through this salvation, the blessings of the upper and nether springs, of time and of eternity. The third shows one of the duties to which the chosen people are called, we are ordained to suffer for Christ, with the promise that, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. The last sets forth the active form of Christian service, bidding us diligently to maintain good works. Thus we have the root of salvation in free grace, next the privileges of that salvation in the life which now is, and in that which is to come. And we have also the two great branches of suffering with Christ, and serving with Christ, loaded with the fruits of the Spirit. Treasure up these faithful sayings, let them be the guides of our life, our comfort, and our instruction. The Apostle of the Gentiles proved them to be faithful, they are faithful still. Not one word shall fall to the ground, they are worthy of all acceptation, let us accept them now and prove their faithfulness. Let these four faithful sayings be written on the four corners of my house. Evening, October 27. We are all as an unclean thing. Isaiah 64, 6. The believer is a new creature, he belongs to a holy generation and a peculiar people, the Spirit of God is in him, and in all respects he is far removed from the natural man but for all that the Christian is a sinner still. He is so from the imperfection of his nature, and will continue so to the end of his earthly life. The black fingers of sin leave smuts upon our fairest robes. Sin mars our repentance, 
ere the great potter has finished it upon the wheel. Selfishness defiles our tears, and unbelief tampers with our faith. The best thing we ever did, apart from the merit of Jesus, only swelled the number of our sins. For when we have been most pure in our own sight, yet, like the heavens, we are not pure in God's sight. And as he charged his angels with folly, much more must he charge us with it, even in our most angelic frames of mind. The song which thrills to heaven, and seeks to emulate seraphic strains, hath human discords in it. The prayer which moves the arm of God is still a bruised and battered prayer, and only moves that arm because the sinless one, the great mediator, has stepped in to take away the sin of our supplication. The most golden faith or the purest degree of sanctification to which a Christian ever attained on earth has still so much alloy in it as to be only worthy of the flames in itself considered. Every night we look in the glass, we see a sinner, and had need confess, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Oh, how precious the blood of Christ to such hearts as ours! How priceless a gift is his perfect righteousness! And how bright the hope of perfect holiness hereafter! Even now, though sin dwells in us, its power is broken. It has no dominion, it is a broken-backed snake. We are in bitter conflict with it, but it is with a vanquished foe that we have to deal. Yet a little while, and we shall enter victoriously into the city where nothing defileth. End of October 21-27